0: When God pronounces judgment, just because it takes longer than we think it should take or a different form, doesn't mean it's not going to happen.
1: Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today, we've got, uh, we'll throw a bone to her, Karen. (laughs) hi (laughs) that sounded terrible didn't it gracious i'm leaving it in and we've got eric morning matt and we have tracy morning hi guys oh guys how's your summer going i guess we're officially in summer aren't we
2: yeah how did that happen
1: uh it got hot that's how that happened quick
2: (laughs) stupid hot it went from cold and rainy to stupid hot without me even blinking that was terrible
1: Somebody flipped a switch and turned the thermostat up about 800 degrees, and yeah, my house has been a little quiet the the last week. Though my oldest son, he's spending a week down in the Florida Keys on a.
2: Oh, I've never been. I want to go there so bad.
1: Yeah, I've never been either. But he's down there on a little private island owned by the Boy Scouts. They're at uh, they're at a camp they call Sea Base and he gets to spend a week on a on an island just him and his group they get the island all to themselves and and uh, i know they had to paddle out on some sort of polynesian war canoe type thing and they right. get to go i think they're going shark fishing and snorkeling and uh, all kinds of stuff so it sounds like well, he's probably
2: hang on a second i can get into the boy scouts nowadays can't i <laughs>
1: <I'm not> sure
2: <laughs>
1: i think you can i mean i,
2: I think so too yeah, that was okay. that was a few years ago.
1: They're allowing girls in, and these days you can identify to be whatever you want, so you can I, say that I, you're thirteen.
2: I would rather paddle a warship than pedal cookies. Just to be upfront about things, <laughs> and then also I've always wanted to go to the Florida Keys, and a private island sounds awesome. So I need to know where to sign up for this.
1: Well, I. I know the boy scouts are always looking for leaders. So all you have to do is be willing to uh volunteer to hang out with a bunch of sweaty teenage kids and and uh mm-hmm. okay. put up put up with um with that kind of drama. Ew. <laughs> yeah,
0: I've I've lived on various islands, some of them quite small and I've had adventures on some of those and it's fun as long as you know you can leave.
2: <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm getting at. I don't want to move there. I just want to paddle out in a war canoe, whatever that is, and then like paddle my way back.
1: <laughs> that does sound exotic. Yeah. I've always thought I've always thought those uh you know, things like um oh what was that Tom Hanks movie? Castaway. Castaway. Yeah. You know, it's like okay, on one hand that would be terrible, but then on the other hand, it'd be kind of fun to to try the challenge of it. You know, For four see years if, or- yeah. Well, yeah. I know.
2: <laughs> I
1: I could do it for a week.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to picture that. Hang on.
1: <laughs> I could do it for a week, <laughs> or until you
3: got a cavity or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. But that kind of adventure has always kind of uh, enthralled me. Of uh, you know, relying on your wits and and uh, and improvisation to to get by. And so but anyway, that's what that's what my oldest is doing this week. And then when he gets back, we get all get to go on a trip. So yeah, our our summer is is shaping up.
2: Well, hey, hang on. I'm having an adventure tomorrow. I'm going on a hot air balloon ride out of the oh. mountains of Colorado, and I'm very excited. So mm-hmm. next week I'll hold my phone up to the screen and show you all pictures.
1: Yes. It's a deal. Yeah, I've always wanted to do that too. My wife got to do that way. That was her 21st birthday gift from her parents, which was like, you know, a couple of years ago.
2: <laughs>
1: but uh, that always sounded like it'd be fun to me. Going up on a balloon someday. Maybe I'll do it someday. But yep, that sounds fun. You're going to have a great time, I bet. Well, let's get into our discussion. Last week, we kind of left on a cliffhanger, which I usually try not to do, but it just worked out this way. We uh, left Samaria in a famine caused by Assyrian siege on them, and this was a nasty, nasty famine. I, I don't think it—I don't remember if it told us how long this had gone on, but it had gotten so bad that people were eating donkey heads and maybe bird droppings. Bird pate. Ugh. Yeah, it wasn't pate.
2: That was very clever, though, Tracy. Good good marketing.
1: <laughs> we'll call it that, and that'll make it more palatable. There yuck. you go. Oh, I don't know. But, yeah, it got bad enough where people were maybe eating bird droppings. I, I Yuck. But we and know that they were. Like there was a market for it. Yeah, yeah. And they
3: you were- know,
2: there's actually a nest with four babies outside of my apartment door, and I am thinking differently about the remains below the nest at this point.
1: If you're that hungry, Karen, I'll bring you a sandwich. BB&J <laughs> all day. <laughs> I'll go to a good place. Get you a sandwich. <laughs> not not just Subway or something like that. We'll go to, like, Quiznos. But anyway, famine so bad, we know that, uh, we definitely know they were even eating their own children, which is really sad because we were, there was a short little story about a woman who was angry at her neighbor because they had eaten her son and her neighbor was refusing to let her son be eaten. and. We did not end up with any kind of wise resolution in that story like like Solomon had when when, uh, we had a conflict over children. But so this week we get into the resolution of the cliffhanger, and Elisha comes up and he's telling us in the beginning of 2 Kings chapter 7 that very soon, in fact, like the next day, flour and barley are going to be plentiful and cheap, and uh, one of the servants... One of the officers of the king has doubts about this. And he's like, how, even if even if how do you put it, even if the Lord opens up the the, the heavens, mm-hmm. even if that it's happened, could could this, could this be these guys must not have been listening to our podcast because those kind of doubts don't ever seem to pan out. Well, when you when people start to doubt God's abilities to do what he says he'll do and Elijah tells his officer, well, you're going to see it happen, but you're not going to get to eat any of it. And I'm sure, I mean, I know at this point in the reading, we're going, wonder what that means, and I'm sure the officer is wondering, what does that mean? And Now, the narrative shifts to an interesting uh, scene. We have four lepers that are sitting at the gate,
0: and like everybody else, they're hungry. I remember, they're, they're going to be outside the gate because they're unclean, Yep. Right? So they're close but they're outsiders Yeah so they're
1: sitting out there And they decide you know what This is silly sitting here Let's just go surrender ourselves To the Syrians We're we're just going to starve to death If we sit here So let's go over there And at least if they kill us The worst that happens to us is we die And I sort of take that being At least it'll be quick And we won't sit here and starve Which, you know, I was thinking about that. And the
3: Syrians, they had leprosy there too. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't like they were going to really let them come in or feed them. It was almost, um, how did did they put that? Suicide by by police at this point or Mm -hmm. somebody in authority? That was pretty much it. They knew they were going to die and they chose that instead. Yeah, That's just grave they felt their situation
1: was at least yeah at least we'd be doing something instead of just sitting here if if our two options are death let's go let's go take the quicker route instead of suffering well they they head out to the camp and when they get there they find that it is completely empty it there's there's tents there's horses there's donkeys i mean everything is there except for people and the narrative tells us that at some point in the night The Syrians had thought they were being attacked by Hittites and Egyptians. And this freaked them out so bad that they just up and ran, left everything behind. You ever, I I can't, I don't know. I've never been that, I don't think I've ever been so scared that I would just take off, just leave everything and run. Any of you ever had a situation like that? Probably not. Definitely not one where I thought I was uh, being
0: attacked by, by an army. Well, this is definitely a supernatural thing because it had been predicted before it happened. So, whatever method God used to convince the Syrians that there was, that there was a, a mercenary army just about to land on them, it was very, 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 very vivid and convincing. Okay, so maybe you've never run away. During, um, you know, from a literal attack. But how many of us have awakened from a dream and, you know, we're sweaty or shaking or we yelled or we kicked somebody, you know, or something like that. And we were Mm -hmm. convinced in that moment in our head asleep that was real. Mm -hmm. I think it's a whole fight or flight kind of thing. Apparently, this was so convincing. They not only did they leave everything in camp, but later we see that they were shedding and dropping stuff all the way to the river. Like anything that they left camp with, they jettisoned. So there's, you know, they were, put this in context. This wasn't, they were just not on a camping trip. They were sieging the city. So they were, they had food and supplies to last for months, months and months and months. So Mm -hmm. they were here. They didn't just have a sandwich, you know, I mean, they had a whole food trailer. They were, they were set up for the long haul. And this is what the lepers find. This is one of my favorite stories as it relates to witnessing. Because I think this is what, the, at its core, there are several stories. Here is God's miraculous provision, his ability to, do, to solve things in ways we can't comprehend, and our responsibility. So here in, in 2 Kings 7, 9. So what they, do, what they do is that they, they go in, these, these lepers, they go in and they take food. This is that he went into a tent and ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and hid it. Then they came back to another tent and carried those things off. And then it kind of strikes them in verse 9. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household the point being they found something that was provision for life literal for them it was for them it was literally this is going to save our lives and they realize well if we if we if we just keep this to ourselves we're going to be in a way guilty of you know of the of the damage that comes to other people if we could have done better and we don't then, then there's responsibility on us, and I think that I'll let that soak into to our listeners and to us in whatever way this, the Holy Spirit speaks to you. But this idea of good news, let us go and tell. Uh, to me, that telegraphs through.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> they they would have been set up. For life, in in more ways than one. If they had just decided to to sit there and keep keep taking and plundering, but instead they decided to share, and they get the message somehow or other. They get the message back to the king, and the king he's not very trusting of the situation, so he he just assumes the Samari- or the uh, the Syrians are trying to trick him into some way so that they can ambush them, but some of his servants or one of his servants convinces him to send some men out and they take the last five horses in the city. I'm, I'm guessing here. That means that probably the rest of the horses maybe got eaten. Right. um, You know, but they're going to go check out the situation and they're in this sort of the same situation. Then that the lepers were like the worst case scenario is that we'll die when we get out there and, and other, you know, but we're going to die if we stay here. So let's be proactive. Let's do something that, um, that sort of was speaking to me about uh stag- you know, when we find ourselves in stagnant situations where it's like no matter you don't have a great scenario I- I- any way you look at it but you've got to do something. Sometimes that happens in our lives where we just have to do something and and just, you know, take a step one way or the other, but you can't just you can't just stand there in the middle of the road to get wait to get hit by some random car or truck you know you gotta you gotta do something and so that's that's their uh that that that's the choice they've got is we've got we've got to go so they go out and like Eric said they find clothing and stuff just left behind They, they the, the Syrians just it's like they dropped anything and everything that would have possibly held them back and and they ran so they you know they go out and of course they find this empty camp nothing's happening there nobody's coming to ambush them nobody's coming to kill them and the people of Samaria, they end up going out to start plundering the camp. And in the rush, that officer that had questioned God's ability to provide, he gets trampled. He just, he gets trampled underfoot through through the, the confusion. I, I, I'm picturing in my head probably just a scenario of people rushing out to just get whatever they can. Sort of a... Almost like a looting situation. I mean, we've oh, seen yeah. plenty of things of looting these days, but in this case, we're not—you know—we're not looting our own city. We're we're looting the uh, the 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 actual enemy this time.
0: Oh yeah, they're going. This is life and death. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, and they hear that there's free food outside, and they're starving. And I'm sure this the captain's guard is like, okay, one at a time, everybody single file, and then they're just like, they're not having any of that. They are just. They just run out by the however many hundreds or thousands, and he's he he heard about it, he got to see it from a distance, but he didn't get to taste it, and I underline this, according to the word of the Lord, just like Matt said at the beginning, when God says something's going to happen, we might not know how, but it happens.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, and there's a lesson there to us, too, you know, we We've talked here in the last few weeks about, you know, making sure, you know, the shepherd's voice and, and things along those because lines there
2: are so many voices going, I'm the shepherd. Listen mm-hmm. to me. Right? right. So there's all of these all of these voices. There's a lot of noise in the world and all of it. Well, not really. Most of it is actually seeking to influence and lead us. Mm-hmm. So it matters if you can pick your shepherd's voice out of that crowd.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of voices that make very logical sound, uh, logical sounding arguments, and Thanks. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> and picking out, picking out the right one, is a bit of a challenge. But so that means it requires us to be constantly listening, constantly open, and you know, knowing. I guess really knowing who you can trust, who just who tends to speak uh on behalf of God. I mean, we don't see prophets now like the times of Elisha and, and and whatnot. We could though. I suppose it's possible we could again someday. Uh it seems like every time something big was beginning to happen in the Bible, we get prophets, you know. And but then we have lulls of time where we hear nothing at all. So I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that we could see this sort of thing again. Of course, you got to be careful. You know, if you just you can't just willy nilly be listening to to anybody. But um
0: it, it's it's worth at least hearing. But yeah, if we're spending time in the word and we are just, actually opening our hearts and laying down our preconceptions and prejudices and also the things God will speak to us. And some things will become, I think most things will become very clear in regards to this question, are they speaking for God? There are a lot of other things that still are left a little bit less than crystal clear, maybe is, is as it pertains to where we go in our own life and what we do in every occasion. But If somebody says, Hey, I'm speaking for God here, we do have a test we can hold it up against, and that's his word. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, that's probably, that's maybe the number one way that we can learn to have discernment in these situations is to, you know, be reading, be studying, be, 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 you know, discerning with uh, God, with the Bible and what God has said. That's what I was
2: going to say, because, because I, I mean, that says, I think it's Paul that says that, um, your young men will have visions and your old men will dream dreams and, you know, stuff like this. Mm -hmm. And so that's certainly not outside of the, the realm of the way God speaks to us. But like, if we're sort of just plodding along in our modern life and something comes up and says, I am, I am from God and I am here to lead you. I am here to be the voice of your shepherd. Like we're, we're not going to be able to practice discernment unless we listen to what that is like, just listen. like what is, what is the message? And then, you know, all of these things. So I was actually, my brain was going the exact same way that Eric's was there. It's like, we can't, we can't, we, we discernment is going to be the key is the key is the key now. And I think we'll become even a larger key in the future as more voices of leaders arise I mean we're we're told that in the end days of the earth false christs will arise false christs like i am the messiah i am here to save you whoa whoa mm-hmm. you know and uh but but then it will also happen uh, probably on a much more subtle level than that how does how do they say that so, so if it were possible even the very elect would be deceived you know right. satan himself is going to be he's working working his magic trying to convince the masses to do his bidding and get distracted from god's voice so so they step off the path follow the wrong thing so yeah i think discernment is the key and that's uh and we only know that if we're in regular we only know god's voice if we're in regular communication with him so that we recognize it
0: Mm
2: -hmm. my sheep my sheep know my voice and they follow me
0: right okay so this related to that there's a these days. There's it's very popular. It's called uh, the 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 uh, prosperity gospel. That if you're if you're with God and God loves you, everything's going to go great. Let's notice here that Elisha was locked inside the city of Samaria and he was in this same famine. Yeah, right. It, it wasn't like Elijah. He Elijah was fed by birds bringing him. I don't know what they brought him, but anyways that Birds fed him, and he drank from the brook, right Elisha's in his dirty, stinky city, and he, not only that is the king is blaming God for holding out and he says well i 'm just going to kill elisha that 's how we ended chapter six mm-hmm. and so I think we just need to slow down and notice and like, hey, wait a minute, Elisha was having a hard time here he didn't his faith didn 't waver, but he was not you know having um hot biscuits and gravy every morning here during this situation. And I think we just need to remember that just because things maybe aren't all peachy for us doesn't mean that we're out of line with God. Sometimes, I mean, we live in a sinful, bad world, and collectively we go through things. People are blessed collectively sometimes. People who don't deserve it get blessed. And in a case like this, we have Elisha who is part of a, a city and under, under siege. And I am imagining he got hungry a few times too. Probably.
1: Well, in chapter eight, and I'm not sure if this is after the resolution of, of the siege or just what, but Elisha. Okay. Let me back up here just a second. He, he's apparently still visiting the woman whose um, son he had raised. Uh, this was when I believe this was the woman who had had her husband build Elisha, like his own, Guest room onto their house And it sounds to me like he must still be Be maintaining this friendship Because he advises her that there's a Seven year famine coming And tells her you know what you Probably should just get out of town Go stay wherever you can To avoid it so she goes off And lives in some Philistine land Comes back after seven years Asks the king for her house And land to be restored I'm not sure which king This was because it didn't really
0: state now we got some interesting things that are a little bit I would think out of order because um, Mm -hmm. Gehazi is talking to the king and based on what we've studied of um, how lepers were treated it'd be pretty unlikely that a leper who was as it said in uh, chapter 4 who was as white as snow would be hanging out with the king Mm -hmm. right So maybe this is a little uh, out of order. I I don't know when it falls, but anyways, to me, Mm -hmm. this story was interesting that Gehazi is sharing with the king, like, oh yeah, here's this miracle that happened and here's the actual person. Look, it's her. And the woman gets um, equal rights of land possession and stuff like this, that in that day and time would have been pretty unusual. But, he, she shows up again and gets all of her land back and, and all of the back um, income that would have been hers from the land. I thought that was interesting.
1: Yeah, I thought that was interesting, too, for a couple of reasons. Because one, I'm thinking, OK, what hap- what's happened to her husband? Because there's no mention of him in this part of right. the story. And also how much just exactly what would her land have produced during a famine? I don't know but but it is interesting that yeah the king for the king to go a- and think favorably towards something that that Elisha had done makes me think maybe it wasn't the same king during the siege because he was ready to kill him here he's he's like oh wow that's cool and and um and uh, we're, uh, mm, acts on behalf of of this woman for Elisha's sake Elisha goes down to Damascus because Ben-Hadad is sick. He's the king of Syria. And Ben-Hadad is asking Elisha, will I recover? That he does this through a servant of his, Hazael. He sends 40 camel loads worth of gifts to Elisha with Hazael. And Elisha's response is, well, tell him he'll recover, but God has actually shown me that he's going to die. That's an odd response from a prophet in my mind. Did, did that strike any of you strange to have that kind of an answer?
0: Yeah, I mean, sometimes that's just, it's 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 not atypical where you get kind of a cryptic response from a prophet. and It's like, well, that doesn't seem to make sense, but if you've been paying attention, you know it's going to happen at some point somehow.
1: Yeah, it was just, yeah, I don't know. It just seems strange to want to lead the king to think that he's going to live when he's actually going to die. But, I mean... It is it is what it is. But he begins to weep. And he tells Hazael, he's weeping, because I know the evil that you, Hazael, are going to do to the children of Israel. You're going to set their strongholds on fire. You're going to kill their men with a sword. You're going to dash their children. You're going to rip open pregnant women. And Hazael is going to be the king of Syria. So Hazael returns to Ben-Hadad. He tells him that Elisha said he would recover but then the next day, Haziel murders ben Haddad by covering his face with a wet cloth. Basically waterboards him to death. That's, that's kind of an awful, that's an awful death. You ever accidentally tried to breathe through a wet cloth? Did it one time washing my face and I wasn't paying attention <laughs> very closely to what I was doing. And I tried to take in a deep breath and there was no air there at all. <clears throat> you waterboarded yourself, huh? Uh, yeah, basically. Basically. And you know, I never really I used to wonder, you know, okay, what what's so bad about waterboarding? Well, when you've when you've experienced it, it is nasty. That is awful. And uh to be killed it's that way would the be a combination
3: of two uh painful ways to go, terrifying ways to go.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, terrible, terrible way to go. But anyway, that's uh, how Haziel becomes king of Syria. Well now we shift again to Judah And this is this is one of those situations Where we have two kings going on at the same time With the same name In the fifth year of Joram or Jehoram of Israel Jehoram of Judah becomes king in Judah He's 32 years old, he reigns for 8 years He's married to Ahab's daughter from Israel And we're told that he did evil This family of Ahab in fact, it goes back further than Ahab, doesn't it? It goes all the way back to Jeroboam, who was the first king of that new that new section of Israel. But um, just trying to remember. Well, no, that changed because yeah, once we got Ahab, I mean, things have not been good in Israel. But Ahab, Ahab's family just is is a really bad influence on things going on through all of what has once been is was once Israel. Uh, Including Judah Under Jehoram's reign We get a revolt from Edom And uh, Begins a long conflict between them And Libna starts to revolt And Sounds like we're not not Given a lot of detail because Jehoram dies And his son Ahaziah Becomes king So Ahaziah he becomes king in the Twelfth year of Jehoram of Israel He's 22 years Old and reigns one year, his mother is Athaliah, granddaughter of Omri, who is the former king of Israel, and we're told that he walked in the way of the house of Ahab, so we have we have a war between Israel and Judah with Syria. Not really any details given to
3: us there, you know, but i I wrote down here in my notes that I went back to nineteen. And the Lord's promise was still there that he would not destroy David's house. Mm-hmm. He toiled with him, even though they did evil in his sight. He still remained fast to his promise.
1: Right. Yeah. And there is a lot. There's a lot of evil going on. We're looking at uh, I'm looking at the chart that Karen got for us here a week a while back. And every everybody who did evil is is in pink on here. Everybody who did green is or good is in green and everybody who was kind of so-so is in yellow and there is way more pink in both camps than there is anything else and it sounds like a lot of it is because of Ahab
2: to be fair i don't think that that's an unusual human condition true but i guess when when i think about the old testament and i think about you know israel being god's chosen people and stuff like that like i want it to be better than that <laughs> Yeah, I just like I, I want to see all of the kings be good and live up to God's calling and, you know, be the light of the world that brings all of the nations around them and sort of educates them on what how things can be. And then, no, they're just they're just humans and they're just as much of a mess as everybody else.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's that it's that tendency that we have of wanting wanting the Bible to be filled with the uplifting stories and the examples of what we should do. And we've been seeing a whole lot in our readings lately of definitely things not to do. Uh really bad examples of of human of humans um just humans character and humans actions. And uh it's uh I don't know. It speaks to the truth of the Bible because it's just showing all the warts. Because, yeah, we want we want Israel to be this example. And it's, well, it's supposed to of, be.
2: That was their calling. Like yeah. That was their whole calling. And it just, you know, the devil got in there and humans fell for it. And and then they ended up right where everybody else ends up.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: But I would say with higher consequence because their calling was higher.
1: hmm. Definitely. Well, Second Kings chapter 9 gives us a shift, and here God is stepping in. It sounds like he's had his fill of what's been going on with this house of Ahab. He sends Elisha, has Elisha send a disciple to Ramoth-Gilead to find this guy Jehu, who um, is one of the commanders or the commander of the army in Israel. And I kind of like the way this is supposed to happen. He's supposed to go in, find Jehu, pour oil on his head, announce that God has announced him king over Israel, and then run away. <laughs> I, I, I could I could sort of picture this thing where it's like it's sort of a subversion, subversive action going on where uh, we're going to get an upheaval of the government of Israel and uh, you know, this prophet gets sent into like, Get in, get it done, get out. Now I'm thinking, if I'm not mistaken, this is the second time that God has chosen the king for this incarnation of Israel because in my, um, I believe he he had Jeroboam anointed and Jeroboam is the one who like immediately created the two golden calves and started Israel down the bad path. But now God is stepping in And he is anointing this this uh, Jehu as king. So it's interesting to see God's hand in this. And he gives some instructions for for Jehu. He he is supposed to take out the entire house of Ahab to and it says specifically to avenge the blood of the prophets by Jezebel. And we read about that back in First Kings uh, chapter 18 when she had all the prophets killed. And we're told once again and I'm not sure how many times we've heard this now, but we're told once again that the dogs will eat Jezebel, so she is not going to have a pretty end. So the disciple delivers the message, and he runs away like he's told to. Now he took he had taken Jehu into a little private room to do this, and when Jehu comes out, all of his men or the other men are sitting there, and they're trying to wonder what's, they're wondering what's going on. And Jehu is just kind of playing it off as nothing. But they keep, they keep prodding him, keep prodding him. And he finally tells them what was said, that he is supposed to be king. And immediately the men immediately praise him as king. Jehu conspires against Joram of Israel. And Joram is in Jezreel, recovering some wound, wounds from his battle with the Syrians at Ramoth Gilead. So Jehu goes to him and... Ahaziah, king of Judah, now, is sitting there visiting jo- uh, Joram. A watchman sees Jehu coming, and Joram sends a couple of messengers out to meet him. And he persuades both of those men. It's I think to to join him because they they come out and they ask, "Is it peace?" I take that to be, "Are you here for peaceful purposes?" Yeah. And his yeah. answer, yeah, his answer is, "What do you have to do with peace?" And they end up going with him. They end up joining him. They don't. They don't go back to deliver any messages. So Jehu decides to go out himself to meet Jehu out on the property of Naboth. Now Naboth, that name may sound familiar to us. This was the property that uh, Jezebel had murdered Naboth for, so that her husband could could have th- this vineyard. And this is where they're. This is where they are meeting. And he's actually joined by King Ahaziah. And Joram asks him, is it peace? And Jehu starts calling out all the evils that Jezebel has been doing. And Joram tries to flee. And he warns Ahaziah. But as he is running away, or I guess he's riding away in his chariot, Jehu shoots him in the back full force with his bow pulled all the way back. And Joram's body is unceremoniously tossed into the field. And we're told that Naboth is avenged by the death of Joram. what do you think about that story?
2: I'm pretty sure if somebody asked Naboth, he would rather have just stayed alive rather than having to be avenged. But yeah. at least there was some justice in the end, because that was just a that was just a terrible situation.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is um And I think this is a, this is one of those judgments that happens really fast and like literally figuratively, because Jehu, this was a saying that I had heard when I was growing up. I think it was my grandparents or something like that. Oh, he drives like Jehu. And that comes from verse 20. I don't think these other messengers who went out to meet Jehu had a chance to outspeed him. They met him and Jehu's driving so fast, how are they going to turn around and get back to the palace before jehu does so this whole thing goes down really fast this this um this uh avenging and this there is no we've read in stories in the past it's like well god gave you a task to do but then you didn't really you didn't really do it you kind of started out but then you kind of went slow about it jehu's not going slow about any of this stuff he he shows up and he says, like Matt says, he calls on this all of these um, the wickedness that, uh, that Jezebel has facilitated, and and it, her son has um, has allowed, and Jehu is taking care of business. Boom is like in accordance with the word of the Lord, and Ahaziah he runs away and he gets shot. And we've, we've, then it just keeps going. Jehu gets to uh, Jezreel. Uh, Jezebel hears about this, some of this stuff going on. And she, um and, and in some, I don't know, I can't speak to other people's thing. But in, in uh, my history, not my family, but my history, as I've heard this phrase used, just, this is uh, chapter 9, uh, verse 30. And when Jehu came to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it and she painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked out of the window. So basically she's getting dressed up. She's putting on her makeup and her jewelry and she's she's challenging Jehu. And Jehu entered the gate and she challenges him. Is it peace, you Zimiri murderer of your master? And he's he he isn't he's not shy about this. He just yells out, Who's on my side? Who? Right. And mm. two or three eunuchs uh, look out at him, and they, I guess they decide, yeah, we are. And they throw her off the off the precipice of the uh, palace. They just pick her up and throw her out like a bag of garbage. And she falls down, and it says literally, their blood splattered on the wall and on the horses, and they trampled her. And then they're like, yeah, it's going to get something to eat. I mean, they're... <laughs> this, this is some hardcore stuff that goes on. They go in and eat and drink, and then they say, well, okay, let's go out and at least bury her. And they go out, and they find the the palms of her hands and her skull, nothing else. And they come back, and they're like, oh, yeah, I guess it was like um, yeah, the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Remember, this is Elijah talked about this before Elisha. So it took a while oh, for-
2: yeah, to— Mm -hmm. I didn't connect those dots when I was reading this. My my brain read the wrong prophet. Yeah, it was the previous guy.
0: There's a point in this, is that when God pronounces judgment, just because it takes longer than we think it should take, or a different form, doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It happens. And I have heard people say, ah, you see, makeup and jewelry is wrong, because Jezebel wore it in this situation. And I'm like... So that's what makes Jezebel, it wasn't the mass murder of all of God's prophets. It wasn't witchcraft and the sacrifice of humans. And so that all was like, meh, it was the fact she wore eyeshadow. And I think this is one of those, and I've seen it and heard it, and I've heard it spoken of. This is where we get our priorities way wrong, way wrong sorry, her eyeshadow didn't make her do this stuff, nor was that a symbol of all these other things. It just happened to be that's how she rolled, right? Yeah. Where she was wrong was, like, everything at the core. She was worshiping demons, sacrificing children, killing God's people, um, promoting all of these other bad things. And yet, through misreading the scriptures, we can come up with this, Okay, boys and girls, and this takeaway is don't paint your eyes. And I just have to, my head hits the desk.
1: <laughs> yeah, you wonder how many, how many evils have been done by people wearing neckties, but the neckties are okay.
0: <laughs>
2: there you go. I see Karen's
0: hand. Yeah, go ahead,
1: Karen.
2: So, <clears throat> one time, when I was a teenager, we were over at some friend's house. And their teenage daughter, who was I think two or three years older than me, I think she was 18 or 19. She had what? She had a unibrow, we'll just call that what it was. And she, and uh, several of us who were buddies with her were kind of teasing her about it. Like, hey, like, you know, it's eyebrows, like it's plural. There's supposed to be two, right? And she's just like, well, I don't know how to pluck my eyebrows. Do you guys know how? And, So I was like, yes, come here. So I I pluck her eyebrows. And then, like, between the three of us, like, we're just kind of playing around. And we put, you know, dabbed some eye makeup on her. And we all thought it was funny because she was not a makeup wearer at all. And then she went out to the living room to show her mom, thinking that her mom would think it was as funny as we did. And her mom called me an evil influence and a Jezebel and quoted this text as the evidence. And I was just like, um. Okay. I feel like that was blown way out of proportion. And also it was a joke. So, but hey, let's get the Bible involved and definitely, <laughs> definitely take that point of view on it. That's, you know what I mean? Just really frustrating. Yeah. Really frustrating. I was like, oh, really? That's where you went with that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> you didn't tell mom about the Ouija board in the back room. and
2: Oh, seriously. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah it is interesting the things that can get picked out sometimes for for that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, misused, really? Yeah. Because, because if we're going to go through and just pick up little favorite phrases and throw it out, it's kind of like, why don't we just like, "Who's on my side? And if you're on my side, you're going to throw somebody else off a high wall and kill them. Really? Like that's the lesson we get from that. That's, we have to really be careful as we read and listen to these stories. And as we've said many times on this podcast before, just because it's recorded doesn't mean it's recommended. You know, it's recorded in the Bible, but that's not necessarily advice like, oh, you should go do this. Right. This is an interesting thing. The reason that it's given that the reason that Jezebel wasn't buried in a specific place. Is it Chapter 9 ends with, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be as dung on the face of the field, literally, because she's been eaten by dogs, and they're going to spread her all over in the territory of Jezreel, so that no one can say, this is Jezebel. That has been, people would, uh, what should we say, um, idolize her. They would say, you know, she was a great person, she was a martyr for our purposes, and this is, this is a thing that actually has been done in future societies so that people don't um, have a place to go and give homage to what was considered to be a very, very bad thing. Um, The commander Tojo, who who, uh, led Japan during World War II, they were very, very careful never to have his body spread anywhere where it would be, or be put anywhere where it could be idolized later. His ashes were spread. Same thing happened to Hitler. Same thing happened to Osama bin Laden, although apparently he wasn't cremated. He was buried at sea. Correct right. word. But the point is, is that all of those things were done. So it's like, you know what? They're gone and they're so far gone. You can't even go to their burial site and lay flowers or talk to your friends about them because they're nowhere. That's how much Jezebel was erased.
1: Yeah, this is a big deal. And it's been coming on for a long time. I We've 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 read about this coming (laughs) several times now
2: so i don't mean to sound bloodthirsty but there is there are so many aspects of the world and it's it's not only acceptance but embracing shades of gray that there is something very satisfying to me to read a story where Blatant evil gets called blatant evil, and people take action against it that is instantaneous, decisive, and you can't undo it. I just, I understand why everyone hesitates so much, because shades of gray are that. They're not pure evil. And so like, well, do I mean, can I really condemn someone? And like, is that really my place? And, you know, this, this, and this. But the the frustrated human in me that looks around the world and sees so much awful stuff going on just gets this little moment of like, oh, okay, once upon a time, some servants did a good, good thing because they knew evil when they saw it. And they stepped into action when the moment was called. That's good. I can go about my day now.
0: Well, I can. (laughs)
2: I feel really bloodthirsty saying that, but it's just as like, oh, thank goodness that actually has existed at some point.
3: I think, too, though, that, you know, from the very beginning that we see Jezebel, it was she was she was marked as evil Mm
2: -hmm. from
3: the very beginning. You know, not one kind word
0: was said about her. Yeah, she was she was it. And I think to Karen's point is we seek there's part of us that wants justice to happen in the world. We think, how come this keeps going badly, and how is this going to get justified? How is this? I'm not justified. How is this going to be? How is justice going to be served? And we don't know. But in ten ten, there's this uh, interesting quote here. Know then that there shall fall to the earth nothing of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab, for the Lord has done what He said by his servant Elijah again going back to Elijah from Elisha if we read this and it's just an Old Testament story of way back then and and God did what he said that would be kind of interesting we'd say okay cool except the Bible continues you know I mean there's there's uh Psalms and then it gets to Isaiah and then we get to Jeremiah and Ezekiel and then we get to Daniel which talks about the future. And then we get into Matthew, and we get into Corinthians, and we get into Revelation. And this whole thing continues to roll forward. And if we take this seriously, that nothing of the word of the Lord uh, will, shall fall to the earth, basically what that's saying is, what that means is when God says it's going to happen, it will happen. These things that we read about in Ezekiel and Daniel and, you know, of the second coming and Thessalonians and Revelation— It's the same God. He's still interested in what's going to happen. And this is not over yet. And that's what I take from this, that, you know, I don't know how this is going to unfold. I don't know when things are going to unfold. But I do have faith that things will happen and God will sort things out. And to Karen's point about justice being done, which is basically what happens in 2 Kings 10. I mean, uh, Jehu is, he is not kidding around. He he gets busy, and he stays busy. What
3: I have written down, though, is that, too, it's also who you associate yourself with.
0: Yep, that comes 11, out very to be very important here later in this story. Right. You know,
3: in 11, Jehu, it, it says here, all his great men and his close acquaintances and his priests until nothing was left. So I wrote down, you know, you have to be very wary of who you associate with.
0: Whose um, allegiance you choose? Hundred percent. I wrote that down too, Tracy. Because why? Let's let's get into it in chapter ten. Let's see what Jehu does and why your reputation and what you've done in the past actually matters.
1: Yeah, Jay. Okay, so yeah, Jehu. Jehu is not done. I mean, Jezebel was maybe maybe the beginning, or I guess. Well, I guess this would be the third person now, huh? But um, you would have thought that was like might have been it, but no he sends letters out to the guardians of Ahab's sons so I, I had to look back and and remember now the 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 two kings that we've seen most recently in israel ahaziah and jehoram they were both sons of ahab it wasn't a progression of father to son through it was it was a father down to one son and then to another son and so we're still in that like same generation but ahab sends the, not ahab jehu Sends letters out to the guardians of Ahab's sons. And with an interesting message. He says, choose the best qualified of these sons and make him king. But the people are afraid of of Jehu. Obviously, they've seen what's been going on. And they say, we'll do what you say as your servants, but we will not make one of these guys king. And so then Jehu says, if you're for me, then bring me the heads of Ahab's sons and all of Ahab's 70 sons have their heads removed and brought to Jehu and he has their heads laid in heaps at the entrance of the gate until morning
2: that's that's disgusting
1: yeah kind of gross kind of gross and then then he shifts his, his attitude and it's not so much an attitude but he, he's um he he's calling out the people here a little bit. He says, I killed my master Jehoram, but you guys killed all these men. That was an interesting statement. I mean, like, yeah, you know, I did this stuff, but don't forget you guys, you guys did this. You have, you have a responsibility in this. And, and then, like we said, he says that God's word will not fail. He has done to the house of Ahab, just as he said. And we're told that he killed everyone left in the house of Ahab. So the entire house of Ahab is wiped out, gone. Um, that influence is is gone from from Israel. Now he's on the road to Samaria, and he meets the brothers of Ahaziah of Judah. Now Ahaziah has been <laughs> has been shot and killed too, but he has. Uh, he has all of these brothers, 42 of them. They're all captured and killed. Jehu is, is really clean, <laughs> cleaning up cleaning up the yard here uh, and um, just just uh, kind of kicking butt and taking names.
3: You know, I looked at it as like a, almost like a purge and a clean. Yeah. It, yeah. And then, so he goes after the leaders. He goes after the royal family. And then as we progress in this, then he pulls the kind of the bait and switch. You know what? They serve Baal, but I'm going to serve him better to kind yeah. of raise the crowd. And then he says, hey, everybody that is a follower of Baal, come on out. You know, I think just being that deceitfulness to say, you know what? If I can, I'm going to be a better servant to Baal than than he, um, the previous um, king was. Come on out.
0: And then then he finishes up. So it's very interesting. So the, the narrative, is, as Tracy was saying, is he invites people to this great big worship service. And, and he says, if you're a bail person, you better be here. You can't skip this one. You have to show up, send out word for everywhere and make sure that nobody, we're going to do all the things. We're going to bring out the vestments. We're going to do all the stuff. And you better be here in this building. And it's very interesting Uh, he says in, um, verse it's 23, search and see that there is no servant of the Lord here among you, but only worshipers of Baal. He's, he's not being sloppy about this. And so here's where I wrote down what Tracy said about your reputation. Because If you had a reputation of being one of God's people, they'd be like, oh yeah, he's not into Baal. Get him out of here. Well, you might've thought that was kind of rough to get tossed as it turns out, saves your life. Because Jehu's, he makes sure that there's all the Baal worshippers and nobody else, and then he's like, kill them all. And they kill all the Baal worshippers and all the priests, and they just, they demolish the house of Baal. There's nothing that Jehu does that's halfway. Right. You know, I got the impression here that he's sort of like a mini David,
1: where he got assigned here for a specific purpose. To get the the bad influence out. Remember, we were talking about that was David's purpose as king of Israel was to get the bad influences out, and then it was up to somebody else to build build the temple. Yeah. And God God had uh, brought Jehu in. He's the street sweeper. He's the janitor. He's the yep. he's he's cleaning house. He yeah. is he is not leaving anything back. And so to the point where it's like they say, thus dist- uh, thus. Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. I'm going to be curious as we read on to see what kind of influence Baal worshipers still have going on to me right now. This sounds like this is it. It's done. See, and that's kind of what I had written down to
3: that everybody has their, their assignment. And I think sometimes it's not for the faint of heart. If that makes any sense mm-hmm. that the lord chose somebody that could do this. Killing all these people in such rapid succession isn't some something the average person could do. No. No. You know, and I think too that sometimes you're just that's you know, I hate to say that's your character, but you know, you're given assignment that you could that god knew
0: he could be successful at. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. You look at everything Jehu, even the way the guy drives a chariot, they're like, he, they, they knew, think about that. They're in the city and they're looking through their ancient binoculars, whatever those look like, like, dang, who is that? We can't <laughs> see who it is. But there's only one person who drives like that, and that's Jehu. So this guy, he, as, he drives furiously, I think is my translation put it. So this guy had a reputation of sorts. And he was called, like Tracy said, to do the thing he was called to do because that was in his wheelhouse. But he was not a perfect guy. And the idea that God can only use people who are perfect, who have all their ducks in a row, is just not true. We don't read bad things about Elisha and Elijah, but they're not the only people God used. I mean, because Jehu, it says here, he, he still didn't give up those golden calves. Um, He didn't take those things down. Could have, but
2: didn't. Yeah, yeah. So, random bit of local um, trivia. A few years ago, so there's a there's a local modern rock station out of Denver that I listen to sometimes. And a few years ago, there was a local group who was promoting their music on this station, and they the name of the group was Drive Like Jehu. and it was interesting because every dj that i heard announce their music would always stop and go oh i remember this guy from the bible i remember this guy from going to church when i was a kid you know and it was like everybody just kind of had this old connection it's it's so interesting to me to hear those random little threads come out of how these same bible stories have impacted people over the years <laughs>
1: Drive like Jehu, well, I'll see you like the Rockies.
2: <laughs> that wasn't
3: KBPI by any chance, was it, Karen?
2: It was what? Huh? What
1: well, wasn't KBPI Was it?
2: I don't actually know because I'm really bad at that kind of thing.
1: <laughs> Drive like Jehu. I'll look them up.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if they're still around. I just I remember hearing that a few years ago and just cracking up laughing. And then every DJ that would announce, like, "Oh, hey, this is their new song" or whatever, they they would just be they would instantly start reminiscing. This, this is a guy from the Bible. This is the guy from the Bible who's like famous for driving like a bat out of you know. <laughs>
1: oh, that's funny. Well, yep, he gets rid of Baal from Israel, but he keeps the golden calves. Nevertheless. For what he has done in destroying this house of Ahab, God tells him, I'm going to reward you. And your sons are going to rule for four generations. Now, during this time, parts of Israel have begun to get cut off from the uh said from the Jordan eastward, so the land of Gilead. I think this included Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh. They're kind of getting cut off. So we're really seeing a disintegration of Israel that was created and man we are Not that far into their. We're not that far into their History I guess I could we could probably Go back and And count up because we're always said this You know this guy started at this You know this many years into so-and-so's reign We can't be that far Far in and it's just It's just falling apart But uh, Jehu We're told reigned for 28 years and he dies he's buried in samaria and his son jehoahaz takes over now second kings chapter 11 this is a this is a bit of a review i probably should have caught this before cuz it seems like we've kind of backed up and ke- uh, ke- uh hmm, who am i talking to and about eric i don't think you were here for our discussion of athaliah's reign i think you were you were toiling away in in hawaii
2: on the beach <laughs> yeah
1: but, this was the mother of Ahaziah, and she had stepped in when Ahaziah died. She just kind of took in, walked in, took over, started killing all of her grandchildren. This is I mean, this is like classic fairy tale um evil <laughs> evil female relative stuff. She starts killing all of her all of her grandchildren, and, and one of them was was um, hidden away from her for six years. Until he was crowned king at seven years old. Because the priest Jehoiada stepped in. And and he gets the captains of the guard on his side. They're guarding baby, 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 toddler, I guess toddler Joash. Um, to crown him king at seven years old. And the first time we talked about this, it didn't really occur to me. That he would have only been seven when he was crowned king. So. I'm thinking this really probably put Jehoiada in into the position of power more than anybody. Yeah, but it's bringing it's bringing things back at least briefly for a while. It's bringing things back into that godly influence that we've wanted to see in Israel. But now we'll remember Athaliah when she sees this happening, she cries out treason. And she gets unceremoniously taken basically out the back door. They, they just remove her and take her through the, through the horse gate, take her away from the temple and take her to the king's house and just kind of kill her quietly where, where nobody's, where nobody's going to see, just unceremoniously dispatched of. And Jehoiada makes this covenant now between the God and the king and the people, and they're going to be God's people. I remember being said even that, that uh, Joash was given the testimony, and I don't know what a 7 year olds going to do with that, but this is definitely telling me that this king, he's going to be raised up with better influences than what has been happening before him. He's too young to get married, so he's not going to be, he can't marry one of the uh, daughters or granddaughters or what have you of Ahab that has been such a bad influence in, in the land. And so we get, a, we're going to start seeing a, we see a shift for a bit, and this all happens about that same time that the, well, no, they, they, they tear down their temple of Baal too. So this is, uh, this has really been a house cleaning going on. We've got, we've got the, the Ahab influence gone, the Baal worshipers are gone, the temples are gone, those, the, the, the temples of Baal anyway are gone, and um, we get, looks so like we're going to get a bit of a fresh start. Because a seven-year-old, a seven-year-old is king. He's obviously not going to be that influential. But instead, we're going to have the priesthood, it seems, um, essentially raising him. Because he doesn't have, I mean, his parents are gone. His grandmother's gone. Um, it's basically just him and his, his nurse and now this, uh, now this priest. Well, that's about it for this week. Do you guys have any final thoughts on the reading? Be mindful of anything
3: you hang out with in the coming week.
1: And have Who's a blessed week, well <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Pay attention to who you're hanging out with, <laughs> stay away from yeah. the bad influences. <laughs> Keep First, away Corinthians.
2: From the... Be, First Corinthians, be not deceived. Yeah. Uh, wh- how does that go? Um, bad, bad company, uh, corrupts good character.
1: There you go. Yeah, stay away from the Baal worshippers. be with people who. Who make good decisions is my as my wife likes to say to our kids when they're going out, make good decisions. Which you know for teenagers. One of
0: my takeaways from this was there were a lot of prophecies made, many many chapters, and in some cases a book ago or two, and it would seem like these things were never going to happen. And this is a story that reminds us that yes, when God says so and so, such and such is going to happen that's going to happen. It's maybe not how we expect or when we expect, or in a way we expect it. And sometimes these things take a lot of time, and sometimes when it goes down, it goes down fast. If you want to read something that goes down fast, read Revelation 18. And that applies to—I don't know when that's going to apply, but I believe these things will happen. And when God says, okay, it's time, the alarm went off, and now it's time things happen and the idea that there's always a ah things will never change justice will never be served um here's some examples we covered today that show that that is that's not true god is god is watching and he's in control and when he says something's going to happen it will
2: and and i would caveat that by adding in that text in second peter that that emphasizes god's patience yes like yeah. god god isn't slow the way some of us humans who are stuck in this timeline count slowness. Instead, he's patient. He's trying to get everyone to come to repentance. He will do what he said, but it's only once all the options are exhausted. Yeah.
0: Options for grace.
1: Uh, mm-hmm.
2: Yes, exactly.
1: Yeah, he'll do everything he can. He'll do everything he can, but... um,
2: And in the case of a story like Jezebel, right? Like, how many years did she commit evil? Like, mm-hmm oh, honey, don't pout. I'll go get you that vineyard. You know, how many years did she commit evil? And yet there were also people around her, right? So unless we're in God's shoes, looking at this from his perspective, we don't know what all he was working with. And it can be frustrating to see someone like that who's so blatantly evil just seem to succeed like she was the queen for years and years and years of all of this junk that she did. So at some point we have to trust God's perspective. And...
1: Yeah, let him play his long game, and and it is uh, a long
2: game.
1: Yeah, sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. It seems long to us, but if we think back on some of the you know greatest atrocities of the world, and we've seen how those have ultimately ended up, more often than not, I think we've witnessed that that there was comeuppance that um, that that uh, they got theirs, so to speak, you know. All right, well next week we are going to get into Second Kings chapters 12 through 14 and Second Chronicles chapters 24 through 25. While you're waiting for that, you can reach out to us at ATtbpodcast at theadventure.org. You can look for us on Facebook. Occasionally, I have little things there for you to look at. Uh, you can sh- please share the podcast with your friends and family and neighbors and make sure you subscribe so that we reach you in your feed each and every week. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.